welcome to the Dynamic Company Culture Spotlight Podcast. I am David Lindsay, co-founder, lead educator, and speaker at Phenom Leap Education. At Phenom Leap Education, we believe people have so much more inside of them than they realize. And through our services, we help them become the best versions of themselves possible. Beyond the individual, we also believe that company culture is such a large part in creating a business that not only survives, but will thrive through the tough times as we have all been through the last few years. So over the next 20 to 30 minutes, we'll be shining a spotlight on businesses that have achieved this and how you may be able to incorporate some of their ideas and philosophies into your business. Stick around until the end and I'll reveal how you can become a guest on a future podcast. Now is the time to sit back, take down some notes and enjoy this episode of the Dynamic Company Culture Spotlight Podcast. Today's podcast is one that I've really been looking forward to since we booked it last week. Today, I get to chat with the founder of Catapult, Mike Bourne Plenner. Mike, you're a specialist in startups and helping companies grow. So rather than me talk about about you, would you mind explaining a little bit about yourself, about Catapult, and really some systems and strategies that you've helped with startups? Sure, happy to. Thank you so much for uh, for having you on the podcast today, David. Uh, really appreciate you uh, being able to fit me into the schedule. Um, so what we do is we help uh, young businesses, early stage businesses, grow, scale, and get funded. It's it's a journey, but there is a system, and I think a lot of people approach business in in many ways, sort of in a not unsystematic way, but approaching in a way that, oh, there isn't a formula for how do I need, what do I need to do next? But indeed, there is so much knowledge out there, so much wisdom out there that any entrepreneur or any founder can tap into to make the journey easier. Mm. So the other thing we do is we we work with a big event coming up called ScaleFest. And so ScaleFest is really about, you know, bringing that level of wisdom to not just a few hundred companies but to tens of thousands of companies yeah. into allow founders that are on that journey of okay let's let's grow let's scale let's build a bigger business to get you know the inspiration that they need in order to take it to the next level mm-hmm. the aspiration or the the people that can aspire to uh go yeah cool if i can do it i can do it <laughs> And the 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 starting of the transformation because you know going to a big fancy event is nice it's lovely you get uplifted but I want to make sure that people when they when they leave scale fest they also take those lessons with them you know and start implementing them in their business so it's very much structured to not just be a fun day at the park but really to yeah. be the best day of the next three hundred and sixty four days so yeah that's what we do. Beautiful. And like you say, it's one thing that you said there that really hit home to me is that there are systems and structures that are set in place that, you know, it's like like with anything. As a startup, they can take things on board. They can take those structures, those strategies, those systems and implement them themselves. So you learn from people that have been there and done that before. Yeah, absolutely. That's, and, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And with the conversation that we were having last week, there were four key points that you brought up about 
startups and people that are looking to grow. Would you be able to share that? Because this is your area. I'm learning as much as any of the listeners, if not more. But yeah, would you mind sharing those four points with us? Uh, yeah, um, I must admit, I can't quite remember what we talked about last, yeah, so last week. About, but... Yeah, um, the funding, having the revenue. Okay, yeah, the four pillars of scaling. Yeah, the four pillars, yeah. Uh, so the four pillars of scaling is is really a system to reduce the complexity in in a business when you when you think about it strategically if you if you want to run a successful business it i think for most people is fairly logical that you're going to have revenue in order to grow you're going to figure out how to grow that revenue and while that may sound overly simplistic it's really at the crux of a lot of businesses challenges because you know, growing your revenue is not necessarily that simple. Finding another customer is not always that easy. We need to recognize it. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. <laughs> and in order to, to do that effectively, you need a team. You need people around you, not just you as a single founder. Uh, maybe you need salespeople. Maybe you need marketing people. Maybe you need operations. Mm-hmm. But you need all of those types of people to help you get from A to B. So that's sort of the first two pillars. Yeah. The problem that a lot of people realize is when, when they grow their business and they get from maybe themselves and, and, and a maid into suddenly having a number of team members that you know support them, systems come into play because mm-hmm. otherwise you literally drown into everybody's just sort of running around being the proverbial headless chook. And so you need to have systems so you can say to somebody, just do the invoicing like you did yesterday or do the shipping like we did last week or whatever. And that, what we did like last week, that's a system that needs to be having a process that needs to have a documentation. And if you don't, the scaling becomes almost impossible because every day is it's, it's like groundhog day every day is just another version of yesterday and it becomes a bit like oh it's a bit hard yeah in the fourth pillar in getting your yourself made a b is capital now when we say capital we don't necessarily mean raising capital we mean the capital base of the business in some businesses you can simply take that from revenue in other businesses you know the founder may have a mortgage and you can slaughter the house and you can draw mm. some money out of that in yet again other businesses, you need to raise substantial amounts of money from outside investors. And there's a whole process around that. But yeah. with those four pillars, the, the the revenue, the people, the systems, and the capital, you got the basis for everything that you need in order to be able to get you from A to B. Yeah. And what what I really love as well is with with the people in particular, like we we spoke about. Um, last week where being having a startup you may be the person that that can create that little widget or whatever but that doesn't mean that you're the person that's good at managing people that's good at being the ceo and being aware of that and being able to bring those people in so what what's a couple of things that you've noticed from your perspective dealing with people that are starting up on the growth part of it well there's a dichotomy in here. So there, there is, you need to recognize that there are certain skills that you have, that you're really good at. Mm. 
you need to recognize that there's a particular part of the business that you love. Maybe it's a product, maybe it's being out there spooking it, maybe it's something else. Doesn't really matter what it is, but we all have things that we naturally drift towards. Yeah. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. We need to harness that. But, you know, we need to understand that when we are getting from the one man band or one woman band to two, to four, to eight, to et cetera, we need as leaders to go through a transition. That transition mm-hmm. includes the fact that, you know, the, the, the person that started the business that we often refer to as the founder now need to develop themselves, at least for the time being, as more of a CEO. Mm-hmm. They need to understand a little bit about finance, a little bit about marketing, a little bit about human resources and, and human psychology and so on and so forth. Because if they don't, they will not be effective in engaging that member or team. Like let's say that you have a finance person and you've hired them. And when the finance person comes to you and says, hey, we need to talk about the finance. Oh, no, no, you're the finance person. You look after (laughs) it. You just, you go away. You know, I don't want to know about this. Yeah, That's drastically deadly, right? Because what if the silence person comes and saying, we're running out of money, boss. You know, we need to do something about it. It's like, well, you need to take care of that. You are still the responsible person. Yeah, swindling stuff off to the side if you have no awareness of it. Correct, right. And it, but it's no different, say, if it's the marketing person that comes along and you, you can't just say, well, you're the marketing genius. You, you sort it out. You, you know what yeah. you're doing. No, you need to <laughs> sit down and go, like, well, how is this going to work? How is this going to impact our sales? How is this mm-hmm. going to, you know, how are we going to work with the brand that we're building? All of those kind of things. So you have to, to a certain extent, develop your skills as an all-rounder. Yeah. But you, you can't just stay completely focused on that kind of thing and having no regard for all the other things. But you can be maybe it's a 50% you're really in your the area where that makes your heart sing, product mm. marketing, whatever it is that, that you love. But the other 50% is then spread across the other 25 things that you really got to know a little bit about. And that's how I often see people get through that transitioning phase effectively. And obviously when the business becomes bigger and you've got 20, 50, whatever many staff, you probably want to hire somebody that can do all of those admin things and be the hired CEO. But, you know, most businesses can't afford to do that in the early stages. Yeah. And that's where a lot of people as well, like I know people that I know personally, you know, a lot more people, especially in that world than I do, but where they've, gone through that that small business and they've sort of almost gone to that they've wanted to expand to that medium-sized business but yet they've just fallen apart because whether they've tried to grow too quickly and they didn't have the systems and structures that you were speaking about so just how important that is in order to take that leap from being a small a family business to a medium-sized business Yes, absolutely. And when you speak to people that have done that transition, you know, I don't think I've ever spoken to one that says, oh, yeah, that was easy. Everyone will <laughs> describe the struggles of getting from that small uh, solo business and into a much broader business, whether that's a family business or whether it's with, with, with hired help from the outside from people you didn't know. The challenges are the same. Mm. It's, it, the, the growth challenges are, are always there. Yeah. And what what's a couple of things that 
you've seen um, with the startups and with the people that are wanting growth when it comes to creating a culture? Because we we all know it's not something that you can snap your fingers and go, okay, we're all going to sing and dance today. That just doesn't work. But then you, I've spoken with a lot of people about this, especially recently, and the old style of leadership of the dictatorship, that's no longer working. You know, where it used to be, you turn up, you do, as I say, almost creating a drone compared to the type of leadership that's that's flourishing now and flourishing the people underneath them. Would you be able to talk from your experience of what both works and what doesn't and how you've seen the evolution? Well, it's it's a funny balance and I think it's a very personal thing. I think yeah. founders, chief executives, MD, each one have their own style that work particularly well for them. And part of that interface is when they're hiring people, they should be hiring people that, fit within that yeah. because also as employees, people are seeking different things and they, they you need to acknowledge that your leadership style may not be for everybody. And that's mm. perfectly fine. We, we can't be everybody's friend. I think it, you know, in today's um, growing organizations like small business becoming bigger, startups becoming scale-ups, that kind of segment, um there is there is often a confusion around what is leadership and what is management mm. you know the leadership part is is in some cases the fun part hey you know we get to do a, a weekend retreat hey we get to do work on australia hey we get to have inspirational talks every morning when we have a stand-up or whatever mm. But the, the management side is also it can't be neglected because, you know, you need to have the unpleasant conversation. You need to have the, well, how is it really going? Yeah. You need to look after the staff. You need to do all of these kind of things. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a balance. And yeah. it for most people, it will take a little while to find the right balance between that and sometimes you then fall off the wagon a bit and you're going to put yourself back on the track. Yeah. But I think that's just that's just, that's just a consequence of growing up yourself and becoming a more well-rounded uh, leader and manager. Yeah. And I love how you differentiate between the two as well because some people think that they're, they're the exact same thing, but they're not. And sometimes you do have to go from like like a cheerleader to then you can't be a cheerleader all the time because there's no point being a cheerleader when things are going wrong, when things are going south. You do have to be able to step down and manage people correctly to steer them back on the right track. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a balance that each of us have to learn. Yeah. And it's not, it's not what the good news is it's something that everybody can acquire that set of skills and, and that kind of their, their comfort in that kind of space. The mm. bad news is it's most of us aren't born that way. Uh, it is something we need to work on a bit. And, you know, some of us may have more propensity in a particular direction and yeah. have particular innate skills. But for a lot of people, it's like, okay, but it's, it's not something that's truly in my wheelhouse. How, how do I develop that muscle? And you just yeah. got to 
go through it. There's plenty of videos and plenty of books out there to, oh, to study from. Out there. And Too I'd, many problems. Yeah, and oh, very much so, just overloaded with it. But I'd like, I think it's, it's great as ever, for everyone, the fact that you said that we're not born like that because some people do think, oh, that person was just born to be a leader. That person was just born to be this. They were just born to be that. But, you know, a lot of work goes into the background to work on those skills, to work on the communication. And a lot of, you know, the, the startups and the successful CEOs, they don't do it by themselves. They bring in coaches and they bring in people, advisors to help get them, keep them accountable. And that that's one of the big things that you said with your, with the conference is it's not just that three days of rah, 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 take down notes, but it's that whole accountability thing moving forward for the next 364 days. It's very much about the accountability. And, and the reality is that we all need accountability, me included, right? Mm. It's just like there's not, no one is above that because we have to deliver certain outcomes, either for ourselves, for our team members, for our shareholders, usually for everybody, for all of those categories, right? And, you know, we need to, I think that the, the challenging thing in a, in a growth business is the fact that what we need to be held accountable to and hold ourselves and others accountable to is not the same every month. Mm. It's like, you know, you might in January say, okay, we're ramping up sales of a new product and you in February actually have to invent a new way of tracking what performance metrics you want to track because you've just never done that kind of product before. You have no experience in, you know, performance measuring that, but you have to create something. Because otherwise you're just going, well, I think sales are going okay, but I'm not really sure because yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we're shipping something. That's <laughs> okay. But, and I mean, that's not quite the best answer, right? And it, yeah. it's like you, you need to have that flexibility as you're in a gross business uh, to constantly invent new ways of tracking and measuring and to also, as a consequence of that, letting things go. Yeah. You need to acknowledge that, okay, well, that product that was red hot five years ago, well, maybe it's just not that red hot anymore. And, you know, dealing with that, it's it's like dealing with loss. It's like, oh, okay, but I really liked it. It was a nice product and, you know, okay, mm. good. But, you know, the sales have gone boom, downhill, yeah. right? So, okay, pass up to it. <laughs> and, you know, that all of those emotional conflicts come in and, and mix you up with mm. with the hey this is I know where I'm going from a leadership and from a strategic perspective well that's kind of lovely but you need to deal with the fact that you know don't really want to let go of the product from five years ago at the yeah. same time and it's just human psychology it's just yeah. human psychology playing up in in oh so many ways as, as we sometimes jokingly say within the catapult business we really only deal with two things. We deal with spreadsheets and we deal with psychology because the psychology is that of the leader, of the founder, the psychology is, is that of their customer, the psychology is that of their team members, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera, because we're all humans, right? And we all have a similar kind of wiring in terms of you know having our needs met and behaviors that we express in order to mm. get our needs met, both 
the negative ones and then not so good word, not so bad ones that are coming out there and helping <laughs> us along. And it's just, and even the fact that we, we often put a label on and say, well, that's non-desirable behavior. It may be from a particular perspective, but in many cases, it was necessary to have that, what is perceived as an undesirable behavior to kind of get something out of the way mm. and then move on. Yeah. And, you know, I see you got a pair of boxing gloves there behind you. You know, I'm, I'm not <laughs> suggesting you go out there, punch up your neighbor, but there are benefits in kind of getting those kind of things out of your system. Yes. Yeah. Well, no doubt that's why they're there. I yeah, definitely because and that that's where I take a lot of a lot of my lessons from from boxing from cage fighting and especially from wrestling because you know wrestling for me as well is so similar to business because it's all about the mindset and with wrestling I'm clearly not the biggest bloke going around like I used to fight at 65 kilos but I could take down bigger guys because of the mentality behind it and you were talking about with the mentality with sales, the mentality with staff, how it's constantly has to adjust as it goes around. And that that's where I take all of my, my skills from is from the sporting world. And yet mm. it's boxing is brilliant. But like you said, you don't go out there and you don't box the neighbor. You don't box random people in the streets, but you go out there and you get the frustrations out. You get the skills going, you get the mindset and you feel better as well. And yeah, that that's where personally I take a lot of my things from boxing, fighting, football, coaching, bring it into the corporate world. Because mm. you, you said again with the, and I, I know I'm guilty of it, having stuff where I go, but, but that's, I like that, but it's no longer serving the customer. And yeah. having the outside coach um, come in and go, David, that, that's, that, that was good three years ago. But especially well, the last three years that we've had, well, the world's had, sorry, is what worked then is most likely not going to be working now. And now is a perfect time to try different things. But as you said, having those systems so that you can manage and measure whether they're effective or not. Mm, absolutely. That's super important. Yeah. Because like with training as well, if you don't measure it, like with, with weights, if you don't record and measure the weights that you're doing, how do you know if you're improving? How do you know if you're getting stronger? And where are you getting stronger? Yep. The same as in business. If, like you said, you might be shipping boxes, but if the boxes, the freight has gone up, um, packaging has gone up, but if you're still selling it at the same same price, you might be selling 10,000 of those products. But if you're making a 10 cent loss on that, well, then it, it looks good because you're getting rid of 10,000 products, but you're having to dip into your pocket for that. Yep. So and that. that's a common problem, by mm. the way. That's a very, very, very common problem that we see so many that, yeah, the business is brisk, but we're still losing money hand over fist. And, you know, losing 10 cents for a lot of business would be good. I see a lot of them that lose $10 every time they ship a product. And you can't sustain that forever. You no. can sustain that for a promotional period. Maybe it's a land grab on the market, whatever. And that's perfectly fine. But you, if, if you keep doing that, you really got to scratch your head and go, well, hang on a bit. What, how, is, yeah. how is this ever going to work? And it, it, it doesn't do that in the long term unless you have a big supply of capital. And yeah. indeed, that's one of the reasons why a lot of people go out there and raise capital is because 
they recognize that for a period of time, we're going to spend more than we earn. We're going to spend, mm. you know, $100 to get one customer. And in the first month, we've got to charge them 20 bucks. The next month, we're going to charge them 20 bucks. And so it's not until month five or month six, technically, that yeah. we're actually start making money on that. And if the customer leaves in, say, three months, we have a problem. We're going yeah. backwards. And that is not that uncommon. It is. And that's why you see these uh rapidly growing startup and scale-up businesses raising often quite large amounts of money. And, and I know a lot of people look at that and go, gee, how are I going to spend that much money? I can assure you it doesn't, it's not something that's Easily. just, it's not flushed down the toilet, quite the contrary. It is typically managed very carefully, but the reality is that, you know, when, when you're ramping up very fast, the money goes up the door really quickly. Yeah. And that's where, like you said, back at the beginning of the conversation where as a startup, as a basically stepping up into CEO, where you need to be aware of all of these things that are going on. Because if you just step back and let someone else do it, it, look, it looks good, 10,000 products going out. But if you're not aware and prepared for that initial hit, you, you sort of be looking around going, where, where's all the money going? Where's all that capital that we've raised gone if they're just you know, the standoffish sort of uh, leader. Yeah, correct. Mm. And, and I'm well aware of time and I, I do just tend to get carried away with this. So what, what I'd like to do, Mike, is ask you, what's some advice that you give to a 15-year-old Mike? And I ask all of the people this, and I say specifically a 15-year-old Mike, because we all know if we say it to our kids, they're going to go, that's dad. Dad knows I was the same. My dad knows nothing even though he's a lot smarter than me, you just, what's some advice you'd give a 15 year old Mike? Well, I think the biggest part of advice, if I look back to the 15 year old version of me is the fact that um, to be able to dream bigger and longer, Mm. you know, the reality is that at that point in time, you set yourself relatively what in hindsight turns out to be short-term goals and you go, yeah, I want to be a CEO or, hey, I want to be on the front page of the payroll or I want to be whatever it is that we want to be. We have all have different mm. dreams. And um, then you arrive at that, you know, maybe 10 years later and you're going, okay, well, that was that done. Now what? Yeah. And your your life falls apart because you 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 build a plan for, for something and you reach that when you're 25 or 27 or whatever it might be. And it's not that uncommon. You look at a lot of people having very substantial midlife crises at the end of their twenties, you yeah. know, and busting up their relationships, busting up their job, busting up their career, simply because they, they never thought to play and beyond that. Yeah. And so I think a big part of advice back to if you will, my my relatively scared self of a fifteen year old is <laughs> is be just go for it and just uh, and and dream much bigger mm. than I ever dared to back then. And yeah, um, yeah I think that uh, I mean I have no regrets. It's not like I want to go back and be fifteen again. I can assure you that uh, not in today's world. But <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's. Um, 
I think it's when, when I reflect on it like that, it's just like, you know, have the guts just go for something that's completely crazy. Yeah. And I love that because, yeah, as you were saying that, my mind did the same thing. It went back to a 15-year-old me and it was almost like if if you were to tell people that I'm going for this big goal, it would almost be laughed at and they go, you're silly, you're this, you're that. But then at the end of the day, who who really cares except for so long as you truly believe it and dream, yep. dream big. That's right. So I, I think that's a, a great thing to do. And at that time as well, it's what, what does it matter if you fail when you're on the way to that, that dream anyway, mm-hmm. it's a perfect time for it. That's right. Cause nobody really cares. <laughs> exactly. And as we, as we wrap this up, who would be your ideal client? And do you have any events coming up soon where people may be able to get on board with that? And also, how can people get in contact with you? Uh, if we take the last one first, the easiest way oh. to get in contact with me is just on LinkedIn. Uh, I've got a relatively unusual name, so there's not a lot of us <laughs> around with that name. I can assure you that much. Uh, I'm it. Um so, yes, we do have a very big event coming up next year, 27th of April, called ScaleFest. Uh, we would love to see everybody there. It is genuinely for those entrepreneurs that either are scaling or are trying to figure out, well, how do I get in to scale my business and, and run more than, than, than just a little business? And um, we are bringing together speakers, talent, experts from all over the world to make sure that people can really sink their teeth into the journey of building a bigger and better business. So we'd love to see everybody joining us for that. And whereabouts can they join you? Is would Do you have a website they can go yeah, to? Yeah, scale, scale, scalefest.com. Oh, okay. It's uh, pretty, pretty simple, straightforward. And uh, <laughs> so we, we do this both in Sydney, in Singapore, in London and New York, and obviously being Sydney-based myself, uh, I'm expecting we'll have a probably disproportionately large turnout from Australia, um, given that we're not that much of a big country. But it's uh, it's going to exactly it's going to be a lot of fun. Beautiful. So ev- everyone, all the listeners there, I'd recommend checking it out because, as you say, it's not just the the three days or four days or however long you're running for, but it's the following 364 days of accountability is where the magic really happens. Indeed. So, and as we wrap this up, Mike, I want to say thank you very much for spending the time with us. I know I took a lot from it and I'm sure the listeners have as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for listening to the Dynamic Company Culture Spotlight podcast. If you're a successful Chief Operations Officer, Human Resource Manager, or someone that runs a successful business that also has a great company culture, and you believe that you have a story to share with the wider community and would like to be a guest on a future podcast, please visit the link below. Or if you can think of anyone who you know would be a brilliant guest on this podcast, tag them in. And as always, feel free to share this far and wide. The further we can get this podcast, the more impact we can have. So don't forget to share this on all social media platforms and help others along the way. Don't forget to tag the DCCS podcast as I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. 
as we post regularly. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss episodes that will possibly help your business ramp up to a whole nother level. Your ratings and reviews go a long way to helping us get recognized and to promote the show. And they mean a lot to my team and I. If you want to know more, go to our website, www.phenomleap.com.au. P-H-E-N-O-M-L-E-A-P.com.au. Or follow me on LinkedIn and feel free to message me there. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to giving you more tips on next week's episode.